millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hit. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We have John Paul and Sadie both taking your calls, 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And let us start with the great news that it has been announced that there has been one lucky lotto player in Cork waking up this morning almost 11 million euro richer this morning than they were yesterday morning. That is a life-changing figure. The actual sum, kiss it's your ticket, is €10,780,193. It is the 20th biggest lotto prize win in the history of National Lottery. And obviously the National Lottery now are urging all of us here in Cork to please check our uh, tickets. Now Lotto HQ have confirmed that the ticket holder hasn't made contact. Obviously, they only won the money last night. They they may not even know yet that they've won. They purchased a quick pick ticket and the quick pick ticket was purchased last Sunday, the 29th of November. So, do we take it on a quick pick that it is possibly an individual winner, single household winner? Because... Unless, because if it's a single quick pick, usually if it's a lot of quick picks together, you, you'll take it or oh, that's some kind of a syndicate because obviously it's a lot of money. And if it was a syndicate, it'd be great. They'd be spreading uh, the love. But if it's just a one quick pick on its own, was it somebody just in doing a bit of shopping on Sunday, saw the lotto machine and said, oh, sure, I'll do a quick, I'll do, I'll do a quick pick for Wednesday at night. The winning numbers, if you have one of the tickets for last night and particularly if you bought a quick pick last Sunday, the winning number is nine. 12, 22, 28, 35, 47. Well, the bonuses, it was 37. This of no, no use to you if you're the overall winner because you would have the numbers 9, 12, 22, 28, 35 and 47. What's interesting so far is Lotto HQ have not told us where the winning ticket was sold. Now, whether they will reveal that later on this morning or not, I don't know. We're getting on to them to see can we narrow it down to what part of Cork City or County has this winner in their midst of almost 11 million euro. It's the 
the largest lotto win, it's the 11th jackpot. Oh, it's the largest lotto win for this year. And it is the 11th jackpot win this year. So over 60 million euro has been given away in prizes alone for uh, 2020. But it's the largest win of the year. Check your lotto tickets. As I say, that is just life changing. If it's one person or one family have won it, it really is life changing. And whoever has won it, we wish them nothing but uh, luck with it because sometimes that kind of money can bring great luck but it can also change a person and change families' views uh, on a person as well and one wonders will they decide to remain anonymous if you if you were the winner or you are the winner I think if you are the winner you're not going to be ringing the radio station but if you were to win 11 million would you keep it quiet or would you share the news with everyone or by sharing the news are you in danger then of getting begging letters through the post and some of them will be very heartfelt begging letters from genuine people who would be in need and I think I would be the world's worst to be receiving begging letters because I, I just I would take everyone at face value I'd end up giving <laughs> I'd end up giving most of it away even though I think with 11 million I've often said you know when people talk about what would you do if you won that kind of money and you hear people say Asher it's too much money for one person and then you'd hear others say give me a chance let me see what I would do it I think if I won that kind of money what I'd love to be able to do is to share that and to spread the joy with as many people as you could you know keep enough money so that you would be really really comfortable for the rest of your your life and then spread the rest and you could do it quietly if you didn't want to go out in a you know, a blaze of publicity and let everybody know you'd won the money. You could be doing it very quietly. You could be ringing up, you know, local charities or anonymously dropping off money, you know, sending money anonymously to charities. And we all know the really good charities and the great work that they are doing. doing. So I think if I had the 11 million, I probably would stay quiet about it. I think that's the kind of the general thing. I think I probably would stay quiet because I'd be so bad about the begging letters. I'd be so bad about trying to work out which of these are genuine cases and, and which are not. But certainly I'd be up for spreading the love. Your thoughts on if you were to win 11 million euro because somebody in Cork this morning, that's what they are waking up to. 1850-333-103. Sadie and John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And thank you to Sheila for a lovely text in this morning. This is picking up on the piece that I did yesterday with the lovely Pauline McGlynn, a.k.a. Mrs. Doyle from Father Ted and she joined us trying to encourage people here in Cork to take hens because she's involved in, she's an ambassador for the the charity, the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary and what they do is they go in to commercial hen farms that produce eggs and the hens as we know they're in cages, they're battery hens and they live all of their little lives in cages and when they get to about 18 months they're not producing, it's not that they stop laying but they don't produce enough every day so it's not worth feeding them is how the farmer feels so they get rid of them and they'll go, the majority will go for slaughter unless you can get a charity like the Little Hill Animal Rescue Sanctuary and they go in and they buy them they have to pay for them the farmer doesn't just hand them over so they buy them from the farmer and then they put an appeal out around the country and they say would anybody like to adopt a hen and it seems the good people of Cork have been absolutely fantastic about adopting hens 
over the years and every time they come to Cork they always get a lot of people and you have to let them know in advance that you want the hens and then they because they're, they're based in Kildare and then they transport them down and they have a day and a time and they get you meet up and you pay it's six euro is the adoption fee and that goes towards the cost of buying the hen and you know the transportation cost and all of that and then away you go with your hens and you'll have you don't need Pauline yesterday was saying you don't need a lot of space you need a garden that is fairly well fenced in so the Mr Fox doesn't come calling and then if you have a chicken coop great but she said you don't even need a chicken coop if you have any kind of a shed a garden shed or a garage where that they can just be safe at night where you can lock them in at night and they're safe and they can someplace you know where they can sleep the night away and where they can somewhere safe for them to lay their eggs and they'll come out and they'll peck around during the day and it was fantastic to hear her saying that they make lovely pets as well. Well, Sheila contacted us this morning to say, Patricia, I wasn't listening to your show yesterday morning, but a neighbour told me that you were talking about the hens from the Little Hill Animal uh, Rescue. So I listened back to the repeat programme last night just to let you know hens are an absolute delight. No bother to keep. And as the dogs are out with them, Mr Fox hasn't called at all. They are totally free range. They come in by themselves every evening. You could actually set your clock by them. I got them just to rescue them and then the eggs, they're the real bonus. I got seven on the first day and now I'm averaging about five eggs a day. Uh, I'm getting another eight hens next week. I absolutely love them. One funny thing though, as the priest, as a priest's housekeeper for 40 years, I'm now, now retired, I was nicknamed Mrs Doyle after the character in Father Ted. And that woman has haunted me for years. Now lo and behold, she's advertising my chickens. Happy Christmas, stay safe. And that's Sheila, our own Mrs Doyle, who's getting great joy out of those hens. Uh, Well done. And people can still register if you'd like to adopt one of those hens because this weekend, this Sunday, they're going to be down with their hens, handing them over to their families. They're going to be in Bantry, Clannacilty, Mallow and Dunmanway. And then the following Saturday, the 12th of December, they'll be in Fromoy and in Little Island. And then the Saturday before Christmas, the 20th, they're making another return trip and they're going to be in Cove and Kinsale. But you need to go on to their Facebook page, Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary, to tell them that you'd like some chickens put into the back of the van and brought down to whatever town it is that you would like to collect them from. So uh, it's uh, one of those other lovely, lovely uh, stories. And to anyone who's picking up the hens, enjoy it and enjoy your wonderful free range eggs. As Sheila said, they are the real bonus. Now, we've had a couple of people contact us about social welfare and pension payment arrangements for Christmas and people wondering what's happening. Now, firstly, just to reiterate again, the Christmas bonus is not being paid out this week. It's being paid out next week. So whatever day you pick up your social welfare payment you'll have if you're one in the group that is entitled to it and the majority of social welfare recipients are entitled to the Christmas bonus so that gets paid out next week. But then because Christmas Day falls on a Friday and New Year's Day falls on a Friday, both obviously the two Fridays, uh, banks and post offices are going to be closed. They do, as they've been doing, they do it every year, don't they? They do a double social welfare payment to carry you over the Christmas period. So the double week is going to be the week of the 14th of December. People will be people who are paid weekly will receive their normal payment plus an extra advanced payment for the following week during the week beginning Monday the 14th of December. So whatever day you get paid on that week of Monday the 14th of December you will receive a double payment. There will be no 
normal weekly payment in the week beginning December the 21st. But some weekly payments due in the week commencing December the 28th will be paid early and the normal weekly payments will resume on Monday the 4th of January. And please note, if you do go to your post office to pick up your social welfare payment or indeed if you go to your bank, post offices and banks will close at lunchtime on Christmas Eve, that's Thursday the 24th of December and they won't reopen until Wednesday the 30th. Post offices and banks obviously will also be closed on the 1st of uh, January. Post offices will open on Saturday the 2nd of January but it's only a half day and a Saturday until 1 and obviously then there's also no mail from December 25th to December 29th and by God do the postmen and women will they enjoy that time off. They have been working so hard but just to bear that in mind, Christmas Eve post offices and uh, banks only open. It's only on a half day. Now I don't know about all of the credit unions. I certainly know the credit union in Mallow. They don't open on Christmas Eve. They never open on Christmas Eve but they are open on the Wednesday. Usually the main office is closed on a Wednesday uh, but they're actually opening on the Wednesday the 23rd this year but they will be closed on uh, Christmas Eve. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And Tom and says, Patricia, could you call out the dates again for the social welfare payments uh, for Christmas? OK, a bonus payment next week. OK, so when you go to collect your pensions next week uh, or any social welfare payment, it is a double week, but that's a bonus payment. And then the following week, the week of Monday, the 14th of December, whatever day you pick up your social welfare payment or whatever day it gets paid into your bank or your credit union, you will receive your normal payment plus an advanced payment, which means there'll be no weekly payment on the week beginning December the 21st. So bonus next week and then the week of the 14th, you get a a double uh, week. Uh, Hi, Patricia. Does anybody know what's happening with the Gertha shop in Skibbereen? I miss it. I don't. I'll get John Paul to try and find out for us what's happening uh, with the the Gertha shop because we were saying yesterday that the charity shops have reopened and again, we're because we're constantly encouraging people to shop local, but saying, telling people to try do your very best if you're out shopping to pop into one of the charity shops and support them because they are there and there's great bargains to be had as well. But you're shopping by doing it, you're shopping locally, but you're also giving money to uh, some terrific charities. And I mentioned if you won the 11 million that was won last night here in Cork in, in the lotto, what would you do with it? How would you share the love a little bit, or would you share? the love a little bit. Fran says, if I won the lotto, I would build a new orphanage for the incredible Tir in Tanzania. And Tir in Tanzania, I just did a quick Google search of Tir and it's an orphanage in uh, Tanzania. It's for children who were orphaned or abandoned. God help them. And they're very young. There's little, I can see little babies uh, and everything. And by all accounts, it says that children flourish when they're nourished in a peaceful, stable environment with loving, caring people and communities to teach them positive values. And that's what Tir Nanog. And with a name like Tir I'm assuming there is an Irish connection to that uh, charity. So well done, uh, Fran. You're obviously a great advocate for Tir and you've obviously been supporting them so that's a nice kind thought that if Fran won the lotto 
I won that 11 million then the, the children of Tiernanog in Tanzania would have a brand new orphanage it's a nice kind thought well done 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and thanks to Margaret who's just been on the phone to say it's snowing beautifully in Dunamore and looking out of the sky there certainly is snow in that uh, sky wrap up warm if you do need to go out now Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock has expressed huge disappointment where the response from Transport Infrastructure Ireland to the Taoiseach that funding for the N73 Mallard to Mitchestown Road will not be available until 2022. Deputy Sean Sherlock joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. In total, how much funding is needed for the N73 in your opinion? Is it a lot of money? It's a a good question and I honestly don't have the answer to that except to say that I do know that uh, an allocation of 250,000 was made for what we call the Clotter Cross to to Waterdyke for that realignment and that Transport Infrastructure Ireland made an allocation of 180,000 to the council uh, for the scheme in relation to Anakisha South. I, I actually don't know what the entirety of the cost of the project is but we continue to make the argument for it to move to the next stage and the planning and design stage is done, the construction tender documents have been completed and if we could just get to the next stage of the process whereby the allocation would be made and and while TII Transport Infrastructure Ireland are saying that they're going to progress both schemes, they're saying that it's not going to progress both schemes in 2021 so but they haven't said that they would guarantee the monies either in 2022 and that's what worries me and that's why I wrote directly to the Taoiseach because I thought a Cork Taoiseach long associations with Mitchellstown would know the road and I was just hopeful that you know he, he might come back to me with some favourable response to the effect of saying look I, he, that he personally as Taoiseach would give it some priority uh, and, and I'm not you know I'm not going to, I'm not here to score points off he shook me home, Martin. I, he gave me what was the standard TII response to this. But I think, you know, I, I think it's for us all now, no matter who we are, what politics we have, that we'd all try to work Yeah, and, and I heard you on the news. I mean, what's now needed is a united front, isn't it, across all parties, from all the local representatives, in order to try to get TII to, to deliver the funds that uh, are needed. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't care who cuts the ribbon or, or, or takes the plaudits at the end of the day. At this stage of the game, I think we all need that road to be done. I would consider that road to be a highly dangerous road. And we all know chapter and verse, you know, from our own experiences traveling the road, when two HGV trucks or lorries or anything that's articulated, uh, you know, passes each other, they have to slow down to literally, you know, less than five kilometres an hour and sometimes that. Well, we recently had the protest, the slow drive protest by the hauliers. And in fairness to to Councillor Frank Roach, and I I give him credit for this, you know, um, I I, I was working, I've been working away on this for quite a number of years. We've all been working away on it and I think that protest, to be fair to Frank, and I think Deirdre O'Brien was there and there may have been other councillors there as well, you know, uh, you know, highlighted the issue most recently. But I think what we need... But yet yet it hasn't helped, Sean. It hasn't helped, and I think what, like, for what I would consider in terms of the overall allocation of na- for national secondary routes, I've seen other routes in other areas prioritised, and you'd argue that 
you know, if any road in the country has a case, uh, you know, for allocation of funding, then it is the Mallow Mitchellstown Road. And if you take the Mallow from my road when we were in government, we got a, a large tract of that realigned uh, between Mallow and Castletown Road, and that had a, a massive effect as well on on traffic there, a beneficial effect. And we want similar funding now for Mallow to Mitchellstown. So it is a vital. It is a pressure. vital national secondary route. Do, do you think it's probably one of the worst in the country? I, I would argue that it is one of the worst in the country. That would be my argument. Because and and we're not. I'm not given to verbosity on this one. The reason I say that is that I've never travelled a national secondary route. You, you have the national primary. You have the motorways, national primary routes, and then national secondary routes. They're the 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 the, the routes that serve. If you're coming from the Kerry side and you want to get to Dublin, uh, you know the Ratmores, the Mill Streets you know, vital uh, supply lines to Dublin and back down again. Uh, you know, it's it's vital for people in the Mallow and west of Mallow area that, that the road would be, uh, you know, realigned properly. It's also vital then for local use, agricultural, uh, you know, haulage. You can't have a situation where in this day and age a national secondary route is such is at a, such a substandard, uh, you know, uh, situ- situation or state of disrepair. And, yeah, and let's not forget, say, people live along that road as well. That's the point. And it's for those people as well. You, you have drainage issues, you have water logging issues. And, and to be fair to Cork County Council, you know, it has prioritised this route. You have to give credit to Cork County Council because they have. And they, the proof of the planning and design and the preparation of, you know, uh, construction tender docks is proof positive of that. All they need now is for it to be green lit so okay. that you get... The OK, funding. but I suppose it has to be stated, we are living in the middle of a global uh, pandemic which is coming at a huge financial cost uh, to the Exchequer. Do you accept that many capital projects will not go ahead in the well, coming years? Well, the, the government has said that it is committed to the capital programme. But we'll see now what the review of the capital programme will bring for projects like, for instance, the Cork to Limerick motorway. We're reliably informed that that is still on track. But no matter what, you will always have an allocation for national secondary routes. And relative to the overall budget, a scheme like Mallow to Mitchelton would be, you know, relatively minor in terms of what the overall budget is. I don't have that figure either off the top. Yeah, but we're not talking billions for this road. Yeah, I know I know the point you're making. All right, I'm conscious of the time because I know you've got to get into to the door, but just uh, just to finish up, there, is there an issue with the credit unions paying out not paying out dividends this year? Well, some dividends, in fact most dividends throughout or most credit unions throughout the country have been told that they are not to pay out any dividends or any interest rebates this year. Uh, by whom? By the central bank. And this is quite worrying now because in order for a credit union to pay out its dividend, it has to hold an AGM. And there are no major strictures being placed on whether or not a credit union can actually hold an AGM. And while a dividend may not be foremost on people's mind, there is the issue of a, an interest rebate for people, you know, and most credit union uh, account holders would have some degree of borrowing. And the interest rebate gives something back to the, the account holder. And if you don't have the AGM, you can't set the rates for, uh, you know, the rebate or for the, the dividend. And I, I 
I'm going to be raising this next week because there is a, a, a financial miscellaneous bill, it's called, coming before us in respect of this issue. Uh, and I just wanted to, you know, push back against the government and the central bank because I think it's vital coming up to Christmas, for instance, uh, that people get that rebate or yeah, that yeah, small yeah. And, pe- and, and it might only be a small dividend, but people wait on it uh, every year. We'll follow this one with the, uh, interest and perhaps speak to you uh, next week again. I'm going to let you go because I know you've got to be in the doll uh, in three minutes so away with you Sean thank you for that that is uh, Labour Doll Deputy uh, Sean Sherlock let me just stay on the uh, the bad news that we started that interview with with uh, Sean about the disappointing response from the TII as Sean mentioned it was Councillor Frank Roach uh, who organised and was part of the slow truck uh, protest Uh, good good morning to you Frank I don't know how much of Sean's interview uh, you heard you must be disappointed to hear the TII are saying funding won't be available it's looking like 2022 and even then there's no guarantee that we'll get it in 2022 I'm very disappointed um, Patricia but what I'd like to point out to the County Council and I'd also like to point out to Sean I have called a number of farmers on that route and I have two farmers in particular that will actually give me their land free of charge the bit of ground we need to widen them and I think the County Council should be taking a different approach and looking for local contractors, local suppliers of stone, and we can get the job done far cheaper. We have discovered that in in a small job we've done on the road in in the past number of weeks. And the council should actually be looking at local people uh, that that have insurance, that are properly uh, equipped to do the job, and we could bring the cost of it down. Now, Sean was saying there's 250,000 available for the water section. I'm quite sure if we thrust out the right contractors, the right stone companies, the locals, keep it local. We could probably get it done far cheaper. Yeah. Now, we'll just see if we can get it done for 125000 Yeah, But that you know that's... Not, Frank, you know that's not going to happen. They'll talk about all the tender processing that ha- has to happen and every I will have to be do- dotted and T will have to be crossed. And there's, and you're making absolute sense. Go with a local contractor who knows the area. There'll be local workmen working on it. But there's no way, there is no way the computer will say no to you on that one for sure. I understand what you're saying and I accept it. But I think we as politicians should be pushing for that. Yeah. And I would be asking Sean, I'm asking personally, that we push. There's a fine stone quarry just down the road from it. The price of the haulage of the stone will be far cheaper. There's very, very good contractors in the area. We could actually get it done far cheaper. And far, and qu- and far quicker. <laughs> And quicker, yeah. Uh, okay, but you reckon there's landowners, landowners willing to give up land free of charge? I have make, two landowners that, that they have no problem. I could, they, they told me I can even mention their names that are willing to give the land free of charge. Now, fair enough, it's for their own safety as much as for everybody else's safety because they're coming onto the road on a daily basis. Meg says 95 million euro for greenways and there doesn't seem to be any money for dangerous roads. Not making sense to Meg. And somebody else says what about the crossroad and the Fomoy graveyards very blind spots there are a number of dangerous bends uh, throughout the county okay we leave it there Frank thank you for that and thanks, uh, thanks uh, for contacting us 1850 Texas says Patricia I'm just wondering if any of your listeners had a man calling to their houses this week asking about what kind of sheds they had this was in the North Cork area I don't know where in the North Cork uh, area 
yeah, I mean, it could have been just a salesman trying to sell sheds, but we get so suspicious now, don't we, when somebody calls uh, to our door. But I'm all, we, the advice always, and it comes to Angar the Shia and we'll have crime file later on on the programme, is always, you know, that's called cold calling. If you're in need of a shed, then go with the local supplier and go source your shed locally. But you'd be very careful of anybody calling to your door. It could be totally above board, but you've got to be careful. It could also be a scam artist or somebody checking out and seeing, you know, what's in the area and casing the area, casing your house. So just always be very careful. Give no information. Be very polite. Just get rid of them. Get them off the door. No, I don't need a shed. Thank you very much. Close the front door. So does anybody else, does that ring a bell? Did anybody else have a knock or to the door, a ring of the doorbell this week? Went out, a gentleman standing there asking about sheds and the type of sheds that you had and I suppose were you in need of a new shed if anybody else came across that gentleman can you let us know please and where was he 1850 333 103 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 A multi-million euro programme to replace 82,000 public lights across County Court with new energy efficient LED bulbs has been questioned by some councillors who do not think they're bright enough and I know some of our listeners agree. Uh, Mitchellstown Councillor Kay Dawson uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you Kay. Good morning Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. In your own hometown of Mitchellstown have you already some of these LED bulbs on streetlights? We have on the main street and we'll say when I brought it up at council last week, it was because people had come to me with different issues and it was very dishes. Some because the town looked and felt darker, others that they felt there was black spots now between one light and another because the light didn't cast as far as it used to. And then the other one I was getting was from drivers that you didn't see someone as quick as you might have before. You wow. Know, going wow. The road. And so, so then I felt I had to bring up the issue, do you know? Have you noticed it yourself? I have, because I drove back into town and myself to see, and then I walked town to see. Because any time anybody brings up an issue with me, I, I'll always go and, and look myself to see. And I'd have to say, now, at the moment, it's hard to judge because every place is lit up with Christmas lights. Um, and so that has given much more light. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, so I'd be looking again in January when the lights go down to see. But definitely... It's a different light. Now, I spoke to Brendan O'Gorman, and Brendan is always a very balanced. He'd always listen to you. That's our local engineer. Cause, uh, and, and, and he was explaining to me that it's a, it's a whiter, clearer light. Our old lights were yellow and cast, I suppose. I'm wondering, did they cast further? Did you get more light up? Yeah, I think, because I, 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 I know some of our listeners have contacted us over the last year, I think, when LED bulbs got replaced in, in their area. And that's what everyone was saying. If you're standing directly under it, it seems yeah. to be okay. But the older traditional bulb gives out a wider light. And then when I knew we were going to be talking about it today, I was looking at home at my own LED bulbs and they're definitely, they're not as bright as the old traditional bulbs. No, no, I did that now as well because I, I have won this in the bathroom a long time. They've definitely improved. Yeah. <laughs> won this in the bathroom a long time. It takes a while to, to get bright. That's and it. That's it. <laughs> to heat up almost. Yes. Yeah, and, and then I have other ones that I that were in the kitchen that I only replaced not so long ago, you know, um, and and they seem to be brighter. I suppose what I'd be looking at is would they look at them and see maybe things are improving? Do you know what I mean? That we don't put in change everything now and discover that they're not. 
what what we what, the what, best thing we could have. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, and yeah, and and but of course, long term LED bulbs will save the council money. I mean, isn't that part of this initiative? You see, you have the whole environmental part, and then you have like forty percent of our energy bill is on the street lighting. How much? Forty percent. Wow. That's a lot of money. When you when you think of all the lights, if you, if you if you go from Mallow to Kintail to Bentry to Middleton, you know, we, we, there's a there's a lot of lights. And then when I was thinking, and I don't know if this is possible, could the council install additional lights to make an area brighter if they if they're going down the yeah, LED? And, and, and in fairness, no, you know, the budget for lighting isn't very big. Each municipal district has has its own budget, right? But. That they were willing to look at because Council Leader Brian brought up about a black spot in, in an area, Midgeton, a specific one. I was talking in a broader sense, she brought up a specific one and he said he would look at it. And Councillor Leary had brought up another one um, in, I think it was a Rakarmak site, right? So, so so they will look, do you know what I mean? But if we end up that the light doesn't cast far enough and we put in more light, then where are we going? Yeah, and the cost associated with yeah, all of that, is, all that as, as well. Yeah. yeah, and and I'm assuming it's going to take quite some time for the entire county to move to oh, LED. Oh, oh, it would. Yeah, and um, it's a multi-million but, but euro program. They have ramped that up. Have they? Um, yeah, uh, and it's a multi-million euro retrofit yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, but la- but long term it would um, be a huge cost savings, you know, it, it, it would pay for itself. And it's better for the environment, We, you know, we yeah. know yeah. we know all, all the pluses, it, it is the right way to go. Okay, so as you say, the engineer, at least they're taking on board people's concerns and they are going to look at it. Oh, yeah, and they, and they are listening to it, you know what I mean? Um, which is good, so, which is good. Yeah. Interesting yeah. So that... I hear more, I'll come back. Please do, please <laughs> do. Uh, and interesting when you mentioned the Christmas lights, I, I saw a photo on... Uh, uh, first of all, I think I saw a photo on social media of Mitchellstown all lit up and just looking so festive. But then I managed to find the Mitchellstown Business Association. They did this virtual switch on. They did. God, it was fantastic. Wasn't it yeah. brilliant? yeah. We, we, she'll kill me now, but we have a wonderful young lady in Midstown, Claudia, who has, um, do you know, you know the way not everybody has that imagination? Yeah. But she, she has it, and, and she has the magic of Christmas in her, um, spirit, you know. In her soul, I would say, <laughs> look, looking yeah. at that. Yeah, yeah. It was very clever, very well done. And you know, I mean, the switching on of the lights and Christmas is so different this year, but it's fantastic to see imagination like that and to say, well, we can't do it like we normally did it. But you look, we can do it this way. And it, 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 it got, got to a much wider audience as well. It is. And I, I think everybody's kicking in in different ways, like the Tidy Towns group here are putting in, they normally wouldn't plant up this time of the year, but they're putting in some Christmas stuff into the planters. Just anything that I think that would give a, a bit of cheer is, is so welcome at the moment. It, 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 it puts a smile on someone's face. Um, it's really worthwhile. I was, I was looking at, uh, around town last night and the Lions Club were putting up an art competition they ran with children to so know what Christmas means to them and they're putting it up on all the windows in the shops. And, you know, um, just to create that, I suppose, strong linkage with each other again, um, that um, everyone is missing people. Like we, we, We're not cut out to be isolated and, and that need to be connected is so strong inside us that it's... It, 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 
it's such a strong need. Yeah, yeah. There's no word to describe it. Um, so anything that I suppose the town can do, you'd have a huge, strong community in Mitchelton, like the amount of voluntary groups that are here, and and, and they're there still. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that, and that's why you know I'm, and I know probably some of my listeners are sick of me banging on about it. I'm constantly going on about shopping locally, and I, and I always do a sort of a shop local thing in the run up to Christmas. But by God, do we need it this year more than ever? You do, and I think people will be pleasantly surprised how much of it they can get local. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. the shops that will be there all year round uh, for you. Yeah. And can I just say on the the Mitchellstown Business Association, if people want to see their switching on the lights, that they can see it on their fa- on the Facebook page. Uh, Eamon I Wall. Can, can Eamon, I just say now as well, the Fomoy has an excellent one as well. Oh, swear, absolutely. <laughs> as it, it's just that I happened to see the Mitchellstown one yesterday. Yeah. But Eamon Wall, Eamon Walsh at the end oh, singing. Amazing. Well, he's he sent it. He actually sent it. That that's what drew my attention to it. He sent me on a clip of the song that he did. It's not he said that, we, that he did it for the switching on the lights. I said, oh, must look into this. So we're actually going to play it out. Um, he sent it on because he, God, he's so talented, isn't he? He's, he's, yeah. And he's been joining us on the programme since he was a very young lad. He must have been in about nine or ten, I think, when we first got to hear him sing. He's great. Oh, no. He's great. When I came across him at first, I was in the UK, I met him. Yeah. And, and he, he, like that now he was. But you know what? He, he, he would always step up. He would always sing and he gave all the others the confidence to do it as well. So it wasn't just himself he led. He got others to feel, I can do it too. Yeah, and normally yeah. he'd be getting involved with the Christmas concert. This, yeah. and of course, but as I, I was, I was messaging him saying, "Look, we'll have a Christmas concert next year. You'll, you'll be back bigger and better." Listen, okay, thank you for that, and you, uh, have a, have a happy Christmas. And you too, and all your listeners. And uh, we'll speak again. God bless. Take Mind care. yourself. Bye-bye. Take care. That is uh, Mitchellstown-based uh, councillor Kay Dawson. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. We've got Sadie and John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Court today. Court today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Hits. C103. I mean, this is just some breaking news in the final report of the Commission of Investigation into the Mother and Baby Homes. It's due to be published the week of the 11th of January next. The Children's Minister has told the door he'll bring a memo to Cabinet this week for a or that week for approval. Roderick O'Gorman said he was he received the final report at the end of October and moves to publish it now or at an advanced stage. A lot of people will say, why is it taking so long? And that certainly is something in the new year we'll, we'll be discussing on the programme because that is the first time that the women themselves, the mothers that went into the mother and baby homes get to share and tell their own stories. And it's another part of our murky past that is going to be uncovered. We've heard many of the women have been very brave about sharing their own stories, but this is the first time we've actually had a full commission of investigation. So it's, it's going to make, I think, uh, for difficult reading, but it's a story that needs to be told, least we forget, and you know, that it can, and so that it can never happen again. But anyway, it's the week of the 11th of January, so it's into the new year. Again, a question why it is taking so long. Okay, a lot of people commenting on the LED lights. And the interview that we did in the last hour with Councillor Kay Dawson and the news that the council is to do this, it's going to be... um it's going to cost many, many million euro. They're doing a retrofit of all of the street lights across the county, all of the county towns, and I take it across um, the 
the stretches leading into uh, the various county towns and they're replacing the old traditional bulbs that are there and they're going to replace them with LED and we all know from an environmental point of view the LED lights they are the way to go and they're any energy efficient so long term the council will save money and any, any time the council can save money is great because they, they can t- then take that money and use it for other services in the county so that's a win-win but not everybody is happy about these LED bulbs because people are saying and including the councillors and that's why we spoke with Kate Dawson and she raised it at council level and they're going to look into it they're not as bright as the traditional bulbs and people that like to go out and walk and there's a lot of people out walking in the dark evenings are saying that they're noticing that any area that already has the LEDs that they're just not as bright and therefore people are not feeling as safe when they're out walking be it out walking for pleasure or if they're walking to work or whatever they're doing when they're out in the evening time or early morning when the lights are still on that they're just not as bright some of your thoughts Jared in Mitchestown says they are they're not bright enough 100% they are on the spot directly below the light that's where they'll give you the light but they don't give light around whereas the old traditional bulb throws out the light the street light is thrown out so it lights up a wider area whereas Jared has noticed looking at the new LEDs they just light that spot directly under where the street light is Connor in Middleton says I agree with Councillor Kay Dawson on your programme I was driving in a city suburb recently and as people are out walking I think it's very hard to see some of those walkers particularly if they're not wearing fluorescent jackets or they're not wearing bright colours the LED lights they are brighter but then they only shine on that part of the road so you don't see the walkers so for drivers as Kay was saying it can be quite dangerous and it can give you quite a fright if suddenly you come across and realise that there's walkers up ahead Marion in Ballyvalan says in my housing estate they have installed those new LED lights and they've installed one right outside our house now Marion has a very different problem she said the, the light that is the LED that went up outside Marion's house it's right outside her window and she said it's shining in and it's constantly like daylight at night the LED light is just so bright but again she said it's only on the, on this spot where the LED light is shining but it happens to be illuminating Marion's window and she said it's like it's constantly uh, daylight outside and if that's a bedroom window blackout curtains Marion I'd be suggesting if you and if you already have curtains you could put the blackout lining behind it you're going to have to do something that would be very difficult if you have a bright light constantly shining in your windows as if it's your bedroom window because I like a dark room now I know other people like brightness I certainly like a dark room when I'm going to sleep uh, James in Cloyne says the new LED lights don't last has anybody else noticed that these are the, the bulbs that you have at home he said when I'm changing them in my own house I seem to have to change the whole lot has anybody else I've, I have a number of LED bulbs and I have them up for I'm certainly I I haven't noticed that I'm changing them. I've certainly not changed them as often as I did with the traditional bulbs. But James reckons that they certainly don't last as long. Anybody else notice that? And we're all encouraged to move to the LED lights because they are better. They're you know they're energy efficient and all of that. And the fact that you don't have to change them because I know we were talking in the office last week about this. There's a problem with people disposing of bulbs. And we were going to try and look into something with We Ireland about it as to what exactly we're meant to do when we're changing our bulbs, particularly the LED ones. I don't think we're meant to be just, I, I mean, I've been throwing them in for a landfill. You obviously don't put them into the glass recycling, but I would be putting, and you don't put them into the recycling bin. But I've been putting them in for landfill, but I don't think 
that that's what we're meant to be doing from an environmental point of view. I know John Paul was working on trying to get We Ireland on uh, to talk about it because they came out last week. So we'll see if we can look into that further. But as anybody else... We've all in recent years moved to LED bulbs. Is, is anybody with James saying he reckons, it's his own personal opinion, that they don't last as long? 1850-333-103. Liz feels it's absolute insanity to hear that Cork County Council are going to spend so much money on these LED bulbs and not on roads. And it's a bit ironic because on the programme we had two back-to-back interviews that really were related, well not quite related to the council because one was with TII, but one had to do with the condition of the roads, particularly between Mallow and Mitchellstown, and how TII are saying, Transport Infrastructure Ireland are saying they don't have the money to do up that road and it's going to be at least 2022 before they can consider doing the works that need, need to be done and then we have the council saying that they're going to retrofit the bulbs and it's going to cost a lot of money but I suppose the council will defend Liz what they're doing by saying ultimately it'll save money for the council so that's you know long term it's an inv- the initial investment will be a lot, a lot but then over a number of years they'll claw back that money and make even more by saving on the cost of the street lights uh, 1853 Now, I love when I get these in uh, dilemmas and listeners looking for advice. And Joanne, which, by the way, is not her real name because she doesn't want to be identified because she doesn't want neighbours and friends and extended family to know what's going on inside in her own house. So for that reason, she we were trying to get her to join us on air, but she said she, she won't because she said people will recognise me and she doesn't, she doesn't want people to know what, what's happening. But the dilemma that she finds herself in this Christmas, she's a widow and she has an adult son living with her at home and everything's working out fine. Adult son is a young professional and they're living very happily at home. She has one other daughter who for the last 10 years has been living and working in the United Kingdom and works uh, in the health section in the United Kingdom and we're saying no more than that. Now her daughter was to go to Australia for Christmas. She had a two-week holiday booked to Australia but obviously with everything that's going on and you can't get into Australia at the moment that holiday has been cancelled. So her daughter now has two weeks off over Christmas and she has decided because she can't go to Australia she wants to come home to Joanne to the family home and she wants to come home for the two weeks all fine and dandy. She's managed to book a ticket etc. But the problem now is Joanne's son says he will move out of the house, not just for the duration of Christmas, he will move out permanently if his sister comes home for the two weeks. He feels his sister is being very irresponsible when you look at the COVID-19 numbers in the United Kingdom and he does not want to take the risk that his sister could come home for Christmas, bring COVID with her, bring COVID into the house, he'll end up getting it and the mother will end up getting it. So he's putting his foot down and he's saying if his sister, Joanne's daughter, comes home for Christmas, then he's packing his bags and he will move out. Not just for Christmas, he's going to move out permanently, which obviously is very upsetting to Joanne. She feels now she's caught in the middle because she's spoken to her daughter about how her son feels and the daughter is on the phone from England saying, you need to stand up to him, ma'am. He's bullying you on this one. You need to stand up to him and say and insist that I can be allowed home for Christmas. Joanne says her son is very good, very good to her. They have a very harmonious home is how she describes living with her son. 
But on the flip side of it, she said she would dearly love to see her daughter. She hasn't seen her daughter for over a year because of all the travel restrictions. The daughter was meant to come home at various stages throughout the year, but all of those trips got cancelled. In a normal year, Joanne would go over and visit the daughter at various stages throughout the year. None of that happened this year. So she hasn't seen her except on video calls. But she said she would love to have her daughter home for Christmas but she's caught because she doesn't want to upset her son and she said she's frightened about the idea that the son would move out because she's a widow and she's never lived on her own and she said she doesn't like even to contemplate the thought of living on her own and she's wondering, could we put it out over the airways to see would listeners offer advice to her as to what she should do? Should she say to the son, no, you're wrong on this, Your sister is willing, by the way, the daughter is willing to get a COVID test and because she works in a health environment, she'll have no problem getting a COVID test. The daughter has even said on returning to Ireland after five days, she'll get another COVID uh, test and she'll restrict her movements, get another COVID test. And of course, we know when if you are travelling from overseas and you come, you must restrict your movements. But the actually the Department of Health yesterday said to us that when people return to this country, anyone travelling into Ireland, including Irish citizens returning home like Joanne's daughter and the people without symptoms, they must restrict their movements for 14 days. But the period of restricted movements can end if you receive a negative result for COVID-19 that's taken a minimum of five days after you arrive in Ireland but you must wait for the negative test result to be returned and Joanne's daughter was willing to do that come home after five days get a test she could have the results back the following day and then she wouldn't have to restrict her movements uh, anymore but that's carrying no clout with the brother he is still saying she's been irresponsible she shouldn't be coming home for Christmas She's no problem when everything goes and vaccines and all of that are in. But for now, he reckons she should remain in the UK. OK, so off, can you offer advice to Joanne? It's, it's an awful pickle to be in because she is caught between. She loves both of her children equally. Her son is very good to her. They're very happy. She's very happy to be, have him living at home with her. And she's now in fear that if she does say, no, your sister has a right to come home for Christmas, she now lives in fear that she'll be living on her own in the new year. And she said the thought of that just uh, frightens her. And then yet she's got the daughter on the phone saying, stand up to him, ma'am. He's bullying you and I should be entitled to come home. Your thoughts welcome to 1850 333 103. And Eileen in Clonakilty is also looking for suggestions, please. And this is regarding masses at Christmas. Would any of your listeners know if there is a child-friendly online mass being broadcast from any church in Ireland? Now, Eileen has been online trying to find a child-friendly mass. Obviously, there's children in the house. She won't be going to a local church at Christmas. She wants them to all gather round the computer, watch a mass online, but she ideally wants a child-friendly one. She said the only one she can find so far is from Singapore. (laughs) You've done great research to even find one from Singapore, Eileen. Well done. So does anybody know of a child-friendly online mass being broadcast from any church over Christmas, ideally, I imagine, on a Christmas day? And of course, it can come from, if it was one locally, it would be terrific, but it can come from anywhere in the country. If anybody knows of or hears of a child-friendly online mass being broadcast for Christmas. Can you let us know please so that we can share it with Eileen in Clan. 1850 We've got John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
A cafe assistant with barista experience is required. That's for work in Dunmanway. It is daytime hours only. Farm Relief Services in Bandon, they're looking for general farm workers. They're also looking for relief milkers. It's for West and Mid Cork areas. A programme assistant is required to facilitate persons with physical and sensory disabilities in educational and recreational activities. And Vodafone in Clonakilty and in Bandon have vacancies for full and part-time sales assistance. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103. Uh, we're getting reports of flurries of snow in various parts. Uh, Nicola has just uh, sent on some pictures and a video of uh, the first snow in Fadan, uh, says uh, Nicola. It is bitterly, it is cold enough for snow out there uh, for sure. Now, West Cork Social Democrat TD Holly Kearns has invited the Greyhound Board member who made dehumanising and sexist comments about her to a debate. Wayne McCarthy a member of the Irish Greyhound Board labelled Holly as an ignorant little girl and as somebody can I say who I have has, I've interviewed her many times she is far from that and I'm delighted to say Deputy Holly Kearns now joins me Good morning to you Holly Good morning Patricia Now was your initial reaction to just ignore this man's comment? Absolutely um, I wasn't deeply personally hurt or offended by Mr McCarthy's comments my initial reaction was literally that just to ignore it um, I instinctively felt it didn't deserve any energy or thought. Um, and indeed, I didn't want to waste my time speaking on it in the dole. But when a Fine Gael TD apologised for liking um, Mr McCarthy's comments, I couldn't avoid the kind of amount of media uh, calls I was getting for a response. And I suppose the unfortunate reality of the situation is that I wasn't deeply hurt or offended because I'm used to those kind of gendered comments. And I rightly don't take personal offence. But in reality, it offends all women. Um, you know, we're subject to these kind of comments and they're demeaning and they're belittling and, you know, we're used to them all the time. So, But there not there something very wrong in that statement that I'm used to it so I'm not taking offence? Absolutely. And when we ignore it, we facilitate it and we allow it to happen again and we send a message to the next generation to ignore it too and to allow it happen again and that's not okay. So, absolutely, as the only female TD as well in all of Cork City and County, I felt the need to address the sexism that we're all so used to you know, to put on the dull record that a member of a state board in 2020 referred to an elected woman as an ignorant little girl. is it, You know, it's, it's outrageous. He also claimed that my remarks were waffle. So I wanted to put on the dull record that none of my remarks were waffle. They were all based on fact and research. And so I took the opportunity as well to invite him to have a debate with me to address the facts and the research that I was putting forward. Not um, you know, just to, it wasn't okay for him to simply address, you know, his personal opinion of my personality and just point out my gender. So I thought it was important to put on the record that for one, this is unacceptable. Uh, for two, if you have something to say, say it to me and say it about the issue that we're addressing. Don't just, you know, kind of patronise me and insult all women when you do it. Basically, this and the and, the, and of course, let's call call it out. This man is a board member of an organisation that is funded by the state. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's it's highly inappropriate thing for a board member to do of a state organisation. And the Minister for Agriculture has written to the board, um, you know, about his kind of disgust at the situation. It was it was very inappropriate. Um, he has since apologised, and the. The Fine Gael TD who, who liked the comments has also apologised. 
Um, and and, I kept and, and, and rightly so. And that's where your real issue lies, isn't it, in all of this? It's the state funding of the greyhound industry. Absolutely. So um, in this year's budget, and as you know, Patricia, we're in the, we're in the midst of a global pandemic and, you know, um, I'm a first time TD, but we're constantly looking for, you know, resources for things like support for domestic violence refuge spaces for communities in West Cork that are consistently flooding for disability support services. And we're constantly told the funding isn't there. The greyhound racing industry is funded um, every year, millions, and this year they decided to up the funding by 2.4 million, bringing the total allocation this year to a staggering 19.2 million. And now this is a loss-making industry. Um, you know, there's serious animal welfare issues associated with two. Um, a report found that they kill 6,000 dogs a year for not running fast enough. But setting aside the animal welfare issues for a moment, not that I believe we should for a second, the greyhound industry is a loss-making industry that has become more and more unpopular with the general public. So, for example, attendance at greyhound racing tracks fell between 55% in 2008 and 2018, and the combined loss for tracks between 2019 and 2020 is predicted to be 30 million. So I don't understand how the government, you know, what is the, what is the end game or the long game here? We just continue to prop it up, a loss-making industry, and this industries funded from taxpaying money. From I mean, there's very few other care. very few other industries that would be making a loss that would be propped up by the state. It's like, where's the rationale behind it? That was exactly so. So last week, um, or the week before last, sorry, I tabled a motion to reverse the increase of funding for the commercial greyhound racing industry. Um, you know, I, we set out to, to, to reverse the increase and to gradually phase out state support for this industry due to the serious animal welfare concerns, the, the frightening levels of animal cruelty, the extraordinary cost to the taxpayer and the staggering loss-making nature of the industry. But we didn't see um, members of the Greyhound Board, you know, addressing those concerns and facts that I had in relation to the industry. Instead, we saw attacks of a personal nature on those of us. And that's what prompted over- the tweet, was it? Was the fact that you were saying you don't need to be giving them additional money? Exactly, that's what yeah. prompted the tweet. And and from, from many people, and you know, like like I said, we're, we, we, we you know, particularly I think female representatives receive a lot of gendered comments like that and you get used to ignoring them and you're right that that is not okay, we need to call it out. But I suppose when it was a, a member of a state board, it became a different scenario. It's not, you know, it's a bit different to your average person on Twitter, I suppose. Your statement um, to the doll has become a bit of a TikTok sensation. <laughs> yeah, I do. I had to Google TikTok. And I well, did you? I'm, I'm Generation Bevo. All so. right. <laughs> <laughs> and when you called um, Mr. McCarthy uh, to the public debate, uh, which, by the way, I'd love to host if, if, oh, if the man is up you. for it, um, yes, did he did he take you up on your offer? Um, so uh, journalists have been in touch with Mr. McCarthy to to invite him to have a debate with me about the industry and uh, the state support of the industry. Um, all that we've heard back so far from the Irish Greyhound Board is they would send somebody else from the board to have a debate with me. And I've said I'd like to, to engage with uh, Wayne McCarthy. They said, you know, they have a spokesperson they'd prefer to send out. And I said, you know, I can understand you have a spokesperson, but of course board members are allowed on the radio. Um, so still waiting to hear back from from that member of the Irish Greyhound Board. And, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful... Um, I'm hopeful that he will take me on in the debate. I think it's important that we have it and it shouldn't be, you know, kind of overrun with, with this kind of issue around around sexism. But it's also really important that we address it because so the, the problem is as well as women all over in Ireland, including me, wish that we didn't have to address it. Yeah, that's, that's But there's the, no yeah. alternative when we can't ignore it. 
Um, and, you know, even, you know, last night, Patricia, we'd have voted um, in the doll. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. On... You know, paying nurses, student nurses and midwives during the pandemic, they've done incredible work. They're an essential cog in our in our healthcare. That's a shocking. That's just for people who don't realise. Explain what's going on with the student nurses and midwives. This is shocking, like beyond shocking. It's absolutely shocking. We shouldn't even have to have the debate. There should be no need for this debate. Um, we should be paying our student nurses and midwives for the work they do in our hospitals. They're in the main um, female as well. Let's be honest. There are some males, but in the, the majority are, are females. Exactly. And Patricia, I raised the gender pay gap with the Taunashta a few weeks ago and responding to my question on the gender pay gap, the Taunashta himself pointed out that Gardaí are paid more than nurses. And I quote, uh, Leo Varadkar said, probably because of the tradition that one was seen as more of a man's job and the other was seen as a woman's job. So we have to conclude that this rationale is a factor here as well. And student nurses and midwives are not paid properly or supported because of the occupation status many caring roles in our society in which women are overrepresented from childcare to healthcare are relatively low paying and this is a sad, sad reflection on our, our society. Like the practical and vocational nature of nursing and midwifery means their education involves working on wards. They're a vital cog in the wheel. We need to recognise that with more than platitudes, social media posts, the doll standing up and clapping for them. They need to be paid for their work. And are they getting any pay? Um, no, so... Uh, in the past, um, they they were paid. There was a kind of um, what was it called? It's like a stipend so or earlier something. Earlier in the year, yeah, first to third years were paid as healthcare assistance for placement, and final year inter, inter, intern students were also paid. And um, so the government needs to reinstate that policy at the very least. 
And the government amendments last night acknowledged, this is a quote as well, like the exceptional contribution that nurses and midwives, including students, have made to the COVID-19 pandemic response, but they're not willing to pay them. And they voted to that effect last night. Ah, And they work as hard as the fully qualified nurses because they're just a stone's throw away from being qualified. Absolutely. Their education, uh, their dedication, all of those things are not represented in not being paid. Like, what would we have done without these people during a pandemic? It's actually insulting. We wouldn't have survived that. We wouldn't have. And to see public representatives standing up and clapping for them actually becomes very insulting when they refuse to pay them. And just back to the whole idea of this uh, everyday sexism that's experienced by women and how hard it is for women to prog- to progress in some in- industries, particularly in your own job as, as politicians. I saw that you were, you're, you're raising the whole issue of lack of maternity uh, leave for uh, female councillors, senators and uh, TDs. And I was reading about the Senator Mary Sherlock when she was a councillor and when she had, I think it was her third baby, she ended up bringing the baby with her to a council meeting when the baby was 10 days old. There's no maternity leave for them. There's no maternity leave for public representatives, yeah. So um, I asked the Taoiseach about this a few months ago and he agreed that it was outrageous. You know, it's the only profession that I can think of that you aren't entitled to maternity provisions and that is simply because there hasn't been enough female representation in politics. Uh, a sad fact is that there's been more men in the doll called John than there has been women. There's been more men in the doll called Pat than there has been women. And we saw during the pandemic, we didn't have women at the decision-making table for COVID. So these decisions are things that we don't get to vote on as a as a parliament. It's that these decisions are just made at that cabinet table. And the table that was making the decisions in relation to COVID-19 didn't have one woman sitting at them. And, you know, we saw that in relation to, I know I spoke to you before, Patricia, about... Uh, restrictions in maternity hospitals when we were seeing restrictions across all of society revised and reviewed and eased and still women were giving birth on their own and fathers were treated as and second mothers in, in some instances were treated as visitors rather than birthing partners or parents or you know all of these things but that is because you know there isn't an organized lobby group for women who are pregnant or who've just given birth like there is for example for the greyhound racing industry and there isn't enough women sitting at those tables Making those to make a difference. And, yeah. Yeah, and then after the election, everybody scratches their head and goes, I wonder why we didn't get more female yeah. TVs elected. Okay. Well, there's a lot of people agreeing with you. Somebody says, well done, Holly. Isn't it outrageous that you can have four legs and a tail and you're treated better than a hardworking student in Northern Ireland uh, working in CUH <laughs> and seeing my colleagues work so hard and to be so low paid? Liz says, in my day, student nurses were always paid. And Susan says, good morning. Delighted to hear Holly on your show today. It's so upsetting how much money the Irish government are giving taxpayers money to greyhound racing. Shame on our, our government and that's from Susan and a lot of support for you and uh, well done for calling it out and I think you were right because when I saw it first I was thinking yeah you're probably right just to ignore the tweet but then by ignoring it it continues. It needs to be called out uh, for what it yeah. is so well and done another, on that. Thanks Patricia. Another important thing is I think for, for everyone listening um, women and equally men is when we do address Everyday sexism, sometimes we're, we're met with more of it. We hear things like angry feminist or you're too emotional or you should calm down. And, you know, we, we should all, and that's what I mean, including men, be angry, emotional and indeed uncalm about the reality that half the population is still in so many ways disregarded yeah. and patronised and, you know, are the famous The famous one that always infuriates me, you're just, you're, are you hormonal? Just (laughs) blood boils. All right. Listen, Holly, great as always to talk to you. Thank you for that. In case we don't uh, speak again, happy Christmas to you. 
Patricia, can I just briefly say that today is uh, UN International Day on uh, for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So I just indeed. wanted to briefly say um, that, you know, obviously the state has a lot of work to do in terms of allowing people with disabilities to be able to exercise their rights, and indeed they failed that for a very long time and it needs to change. But all of us as individuals as well um, have a responsibility to edu- educate ourselves and understand sh- to try and make our society a more inclusive one for everybody. I just wanted to mark that day. Today. Well done. Well done. Well said. Listen, Holly, thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is West Cork Social Democrat uh, TD, Deputy Holly Kearns. 1850-333-103. We just had a report in of a fuel spill on the N71 between Bandon and Inishannon. Gardaí are en route. Please be careful. That's a fuel spill. N71 between Bandon and Inishannon. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. And we are going to Kinsale Garda Station where we're joined by uh, Garda James uh, O'Mahony uh, for this week's uh, Garda File. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Okay, you've Thank got you. some crimes that you are looking for our listeners' help with, starting with the theft of a Shetland pony. That's right, Patricia. Very, very sad case now coming up to Christmas. So I appeal to all our uh, listeners to give us a help with this. I was talking this morning to my colleague here in Kinsale Station, John Lawton, and John was telling me he got the report of it, and he said that, first of all, this uh, Shetland pony is in the family, a young family with 20 years, so a great pet, and the name of the pony is Fifi, coming up to Christmas. And not alone that, Fifi was joined in the field at Bannonspittal by Pino, who's also a Shetland pony, and uh, Podge, who's a, um, an alpaca. And the tree, the tree, John was telling me that ever since this poor Shetland pony was taken, uh, Pino and Podge, both the Shetland pony and the alpaca, have been crying every night since missing him. Because yeah, because they bond. They, they, they bond. OK, do we know when Fifi went missing? Yeah, he was taken last Wednesday night. He is three foot tall, uh, 11 hands high, three foot. So this Patricia, this little pony could be taken at any time uh, by a small trailer or something like that. So he's not very, very high. He's rusty brown in colour. Uh, he has been in the family, as I said, for 20 years. And I, I actually sent a post on to, to John Paul. He's putting it up on your website there as Perfect, well. Perfect, with a picture. Uh, so we're looking for anyone who is in, in the Ballinspittal area who last was out Wednesday last Wednesday night. Yeah. Dash cam footage. Exactly. And more importantly now, Patricia, more than likely that has travelled to some place within the Cork County or maybe even further afield, we're not sure. But we'd appeal to send everyone out. Look at your website there. Uh, the, the photograph is on it. He's a very small, you couldn't miss him. He's a small Shetland pony. Yeah, they're tiny little Pino things. and poor old Porridge is missing him as ah, well. Stretch. And the other side, so <laughs> it's a very sad case. Yeah, and okay. Anyone to have information, contact Noel O'Dwyer, the local guard there in Ballonspittal Station. Okay, and, and shame on whoever book took poor Fifi. Let's see, if we, see if we can get Fifi home for Christmas. Okay. That's, the, that's, the, that's the motto. That's morning, the motto. Yeah. Okay, there was a break in a Carrigadrohad? Car- that's right. A Carrigadrohad there last Friday night, Saturday, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, there was two sheds entered here, uh, Patricia, and a small quantity of hand tools were taken. Now, the both doors of the sheds were damaged, and this is going to be, coming up to Christmas, of course, this is going to be uh, one of the plies of... Uh, tools and, and uh, things been taken and um, uh, so this happened in Caligrohood last Friday night Saturday morning so the Guardian McCroom are investigating that one Patricia. And a theft in Clonakilty. That's right now again once again this was a theft of a circular saw a Makita 
12 volt. Now, this was stolen from a building site whilst the, 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 the construction people were just missing for a, a, an hour, actually. So this is the important with this crime. Something similar in the rustic area there a, few, a couple of months ago where a person had left something in the lawn and a car drove upstairs in the lawn, jumped over the wall. And in that case, thankfully, got the culprits were got and took a, a, a quantity of stuff just lying in the lawn. Opportunist criminals, they were absolutely passing. This was at Skarta, Clannacilty, uh, there uh, uh, last Wednesday morning between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. OK, and keep a lookout in case because they'll be probably sold on they somewhere. Yeah. Yes, that's right. OK, now, if, you've got reports of a phone line cut and removed. That's, that's a bit right. unusual. This is a usual one, all right, yeah. Air reported that uh, an overhead phone line was cut and removed uh, there at Dlash Kishkeim. Now, this happened last, uh, again Friday night, Saturday morning. Unusual, but not alone that is the overline headline or, or overhead phone line, sorry, was actually removed from place at the time. So this is an unusual uh, thing, all right. So hopefully it is, uh, Patricia, a once-off. But uh, it happened in the Dlash Kishkem area there last Friday night and Saturday morning. And uh, the Gardaí at Kentorp there in Middle Street would appreciate help with that one. Yeah. Okay. And we're just three weeks away. Three weeks today will be uh, Christmas Eve. You want to have a, a chat about visiting the elderly over Christmas? I do. And before I go to that, uh, uh, Patricia, I'd just like to mention that Sergeant James O'Donovan, our crime prevention officer, is leaving us today, actually. He's been promoted an inspector in Anglesey Street. Oh, now, congratulations, James. Exactly, exactly, James. If you're listening, James, as everybody knows, especially with community, and this, this isn't fitting in, in talking about elderly because James put an awful lot of work in his two years as Crime Prevention Officer West Cork into the elderly community left to neighbour watch. And uh, we wish him every success in his new move as an inspector in Anglesey Street Station. OK. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, uh, as regards elderly, yes, uh, Patricia, I think to be coming up to Christmas, I think it's a very, very important time to talk about, and I know this is happening in an awful lot of areas, and I appeal to Community Alert, Neighbourhood Watches and all, to give uh, give uh, a bit of time to look at in, in elderly people, especially Patricia, those living alone. And as I say, in isolation, it can, this can be a town, it can be a village, Patricia. I okay. visited a person there not too long ago in the middle of a town in West Cork, and they were as lonely as if they were up on the side of any mountain. It, 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 it sometimes is reality. And especially with Christmas time, uh, Patricia, it's a lonely, very lonely time for people that have lost loved ones, especially uh, people that have, you know, bereavement, uh, people that are, are on their own, family members abroad. You know, there's so many scenarios out there uh, nowadays. And we've been through a very, very tough year. 2020 has been a very, very tough year in everybody, I think, across the board, but especially, I think, in other people, and especially people that are on their own. Uh, and as I said, it doesn't have to be isolation. It can be in the middle of a town or a village. Or yeah, and Christmas this year is going to be different, and normally you might have had an elderly neighbour who would be a son or a daughter might be coming home, or they might be going to visit somebody, and they mightn't be able to do that this year. That's right. And they could, they've never been on their own before for Christmas, and they could suddenly find themselves on their own. So people need to just reach out. Reach out, that's very, very important. And, of course, everybody have their own personal. Some people would want a lot of calls. Maybe other people might want to call occasionally. And, of course, we have to advocate uh, COVID guidelines in this as Absolutely. well. Very, very important personal care. But you can do that, Patricia, in a very, very safe environment. It can be a phone call. And often I, I was talking to an uh, elderly person there recently, and they're really appreciated. Don't they're really appreciated, Patricia? A phone call from a neighbour that they hadn't heard for in years. Yeah. 
And that's the touch that we want coming through. A phone call that they hadn't heard from a neighbour in 12 months and they really, really did appreciate that call. Well done, and that, well done. So that's the appeal this morning to, and especially I'd say to our community alert and neighbour watch uh, 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 committees out there and we've a lot I think we've uh, over 140, 50 50 more in, in the whole Cork County uh, to get involved in the scheme of, of putting the elder there as a priority OK listen yeah. have a good Christmas and thank you for all your uh, input throughout the year Thank you very much Patricia. OK Appreciate we're talking the new year God, God bless, bless That is uh, Garda James O'Mahony who's the Garda uh, Juvenile Officer based at Kinsale Garda Station This is Court Today Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 a lot of commentary into the programme this morning. Firstly, let me bring you some of the calls and comments in reacting to West Cork Social Democrats, Dáil Deputy Holly Kearns who joined us, who was uh, attacked on Twitter last week by a member of the Irish Greyhound Board. And then that led to conversation about a lot of things, including pay for student nurses and student midwives who are working on our wards. Uh, Tommy in Bantry says, congratulations to Holly on how she handled that man's uh, comments. Uh, She did really well and a happy Christmas. Many happy returns, Tommy. And actually, if you have access to Twitter or to TikTok, she became a TikTok sensation over the last few days based on on her statement to the doll about that particular uh, tweet. Um, the also coming in to us about Holly. Hi Patricia and John Paul. Listening to Holly on the programme this morning, it's a disgrace that the government are not paying a proper wage to our nurses and our student nurses and midwives. They ought to be ashamed of themselves and also wasting money on LED bulbs when they should be putting money into roads. That's from Anne in Ballantemple. Hi Patricia, I'm hard to hear how much money has been allocated to the greyhound industry when there are so many other worthwhile causes. Imagine, imagine how many elderly people could have their cataract surgery funded instead. A waiting list could be reduced significantly and what a wonderful gift it would be to restore the sight for somebody. Says uh, a WhatsApper. Somebody else says, Hi Trish, tell Holly Carnes that the Irish Greyhound Board's taxes pays her wages. That is from Pat, but I think she's highlighting the fact that it's an industry, it's a loss-making industry. I think that's what gets to her, the fact that 19, over 19 million euro will be given to them next year, and yet they're a loss-making uh, industry. Hi Patricia, delighted to hear Holly on your programme today. She's doing an amazing uh, job. Could you also highlight, please, I'm a female that's in the 221 plus group, which means this lady has been affected by this vital check uh, controversy. My husband and I are in the middle of surrogacy process and I'm not entitled to maternity leave uh, either. Wow. I did not realise that, that if somebody's going through surrogacy and obviously if this lady is in the 221 plus uh, group. She's been affected by cervical cancer. Whether that's the reason that she can't have children, I don't know. So her only option to have a baby is to go down the surrogacy route. And then when baby arrives, you're not entitled to maternity leave. I didn't I didn't realise that. Listen, can we wish you luck in your... That's a difficult journey to be on as well. We wish you uh, luck with it. And thank you uh, for your comments this morning. Alan says, Trish, in relation to the sport of greyhound racing, if you visit a, a local greyhound track during the summer, you would have seen children as young as six or seven placing bets on greyhound racing. That must be totally illegal. I imagine it is totally illegal. 
talk about trying to catch them young is an understatement. No wonder we have such a problem with gambling in this country, says uh, Alan, who obviously is not a fan of the greyhound uh, industry. Okay, then we got a lot of commentary in reacting to Joanne's dilemma. In case you didn't hear it earlier, Joanne contacted us. She's one of our listeners. She has her son, young professional, lives with her at home. Everything's fine. Harmonious household, is how she describes it. She's a daughter who lives and works in the United Kingdom, who was to be was to go to Australia for Christmas, but obviously that's been cancelled. So the daughter now has two weeks' holidays and wants to come home for Christmas. Has her flights booked? She is going to get a COVID test before getting on the plane, and she has also said that she will have another COVID test five days after she arrives. And of course, if that's one, if that one is negative, it means she doesn't have to restrict her movements. But it is the son who lives with Joanne, who does not want his sister home, thinks she's been irresponsible. She's coming from the UK where there is their COVID numbers are frighteningly high and he's fearful that she could bring COVID into the house to him and to his mother and he's putting his foot down and he's told the mother if the daughter returns home for the two weeks holidays, he's moving out not just for Christmas but for good. He's going to rent accommodation and will move out instead which is obviously very upsetting for Joanne who is a widow and, and by the way, not her real name, uh, doesn't like the thought of living on her own. And now she's caught in the middle of her son and daughter who are both accusing the other of being, the daughter is saying, stand up to the son, he's being uh, a bully. And the son is saying, no, sister is being irresponsible, she shouldn't come home. Some of your thoughts in on that. Mary says, the girl in England wasn't originally due to come home, she said, as as Joanne herself said, she was going to Australia for Christmas. She only wants to come home now because she can't go there. I think the mother should be siding with the son on this one. At the end of the day, he's living at home and minding uh, her, says Mary. And then Marion says, I'm in, a, I'm in a similar situation. My younger son is living in London. He also wants to come home for Christmas. The area of London he lives in, unfortunately, has very high cases of COVID-19. One of his brothers has no issue at all with him coming home, but the other brother says for one year only, can he not stay in uh, London and maybe come home sometime during 2021, maybe around March when things start to calm down with COVID and there's a vaccine. Both his brothers are older, then this is the youngest son. So Marion says, I'm in the same situation that Joanne spoke to you about this morning. At this stage, I think my son is making the decision to remain in London, but it's a huge sadness to me and heartbreaking, says Marion, as I won't see him. And he's still my baby. But I understand everybody's views. It's such hard times at the moment on uh, families. So her younger son has made the decision, obviously taken on board the views of both of the brothers and has decided not to come home. John and Bantry says, I think the daughter said she was going to go to Australia this Christmas only for COVID. So she wasn't putting her mother first, was she? When she booked her holiday to Australia, I think she should be staying away for Christmas this year, says John and Bantry. He's siding with the brother on this one. Hi, uh, Patricia. I think the young son at home should get a good kick in the proverbials. The daughter is willing to take all of the health checks for COVID-19, have her test before she leaves and also have another test five days after arriving. At the end of the day, she's a healthcare worker, so she must be taking COVID seriously. I think there's a bit of jealousy attached to all of this, particularly on the part of the son. I think the daughter is right in telling her mother that she 
Joanne that she should stand up to him, tell him grow up. That's from Tim in uh, Mallow. Meg says, what a selfish daughter Joanne has. It's she who's doing the bullying, not the son. If the son leaves and Joanne is left uh, alone, she'll be heading back to England and then Joanne will be living on her own, says uh, Meg. Some of your WhatsApps in on this. Uh, Hi, Patricia. I'm after listening to that story of the daughter who wants to come home. The son needs a massive kick in the ass. Actually, so does the daughter. Why are they both putting their mother in this situation, situation, pitting one against each other, telling their mother what to say and what not to say? By the sounds of it, the brother and sister are not speaking to each other and therein lies the first problem. It's not the mother's problem if they can't communicate with each other. At the end of the day, they're adults. They need to wake up and cop the hell on. Secondly, the son has said no to his sister coming over for Christmas. If she wants to come home and has a negative test result, then there's nothing he can say. We have to go abroad in a few weeks' time for work and we'll have to have a negative test before we will be allowed to travel. We will have 72 hours after the test result is received here to arrive in the country and we can, if we decide to, have another test on arrival. If that girl wants to do a test on arrival, then let her do it. She can come home four days before Christmas, enjoy Christmas Eve and Christmas Day at home. The fool of a son threatening to move out for good is emotionally blackmailing his mother Joanne for from fear possibly but very bullying and I would say threatening behaviour why make his mother worry over his sister's decision go talk to her himself and leave his mother out of this argument the government are trying to stop people from flying home for Christmas now if she's okay and is coming home no one will stop her the government have suggested if not demanded it he has no right to control his sister's holiday plans life has to be somewhat normal for people from now on but threatening to move out is the most stupid blackmailing emotional abuse I've heard in a while and he needs a slap and he should actually apologise to his mother. Again it sounds to me that there is a bigger issue than Covid going on uh, here. Uh, Wow that's a long WhatsApp thank you for that. I do think you're right I do think they need to be communicating with each other because when you listen to Marion who's in the same kind of a dilemma and her two older boys one has no problem with the younger son travelling back from London but one boy does and obviously they the brothers have communicated their views to the son in London and then the son in London has said okay taken on board everybody's views and has instead decided to uh, stay so I think you're probably right we need a bit of communication going on here between Joanne's son and daughter and see if they can sort it out themselves uh, John said Patricia regarding the woman travelling from the UK to see her mother for Christmas she should stay at home and as for the mother who hasn't seen her for 12 months Joanne she needs to cop on this day and age with modern technology we're in the middle of a pandemic you wouldn't have to be gone to UCC to figure that one out people are pitiful why what did people do years ago with the amount of people that had to emigrate to America and they went and you waited weeks for a letter to come in the post and we didn't have all of the technology that we have today and Joanne did say she is she, she is seeing her on video but it's not the same. 
So video call is not the same. And hi, Patricia. If the son is a professional worker, what is he doing still living with his mum? If the daughter gets the test and it's all clear, she should be allowed home. I don't see what the problem is. It sounds like the son is jealous and doesn't want his sister home for Christmas. Okay, that's some of your thoughts coming in on Joanne's dilemma at the moment. 1850-333-103. And then when we had the listener who was looking for a child-friendly mass for Christmas, ideally on Christmas Day, I'm assuming, and says, Patricia, if that listener logs on to Knock Shrine, she can get a mass every day. I don't quite know what she means when she speaks about a child-friendly mass. I've never heard of one that wasn't. If she contacts her local priest, I'm sure they'll be broadcasting mass through uh, Facebook, says uh, Anne. And some, did somebody else make a suggestion? Eileen in Clan. Oh, no, was Eileen in Clan is looking for the child friendly uh, mass? Esther says, tell Eileen in Clan that there's uh, for children's mass to check in with the church in Blarney. I think the priest is saying mass there on Christmas Eve and it's going to be a special one for children, says uh, Esther. So I'd imagine if you check the Facebook page for the Blarney, the church in Blarney you could see if you can find because Esther did her own research uh, or Eileen in Clan did her own research and all she could find was a child friendly one in Singapore. Uh, she wants one that's aimed at, at children. 1850-333-103 and on street lights Mike in Bantry says I like the orange filament light bulbs. Have people noticed those? Are they LED I wonder, you know, the, I want the one with the orange glow. Mike reckons that when he's out and about and he's looking at them, they give a nice relaxing glow in the evening and the night time. And he prefers them to the, to the brighter LED ones. 1850 333 103 with a reminder that we're looking for your pet questions, please, because Jane, our resident uh, vet, will be joining us on the programme in, uh, after half past 12 today. So if you've got a pet question, you can call Sadie or John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Celebrate a real Cork Christmas. Find out more at corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development, they're holding their next lotto draw. That's on this afternoon at four in the local community office with a jackpot of €1,400. You can win a new Volkswagen Golf car by supporting the Kiskane GAA fundraising raffle. Tickets can be purchased through their website, which is kiskamegaadraw.ie. And Cora Threshing Committee are fundraising for Breakthrough Cancer Research in Cork. Tickets are now on sale for their 10k cash giveaway. Available from all committee members, or you can call 086 3517 And the draw is going to play, take place this Saturday. So if you haven't got your tickets, get them fast. Advice now for on a different issue for a listener, and it's to do with rats. Dear God. Hi, I don't want to give out my name, but I'm living in a council house in the Bantry uh, area. Uh, I have an infestation of either rats or mice. I'm not sure. They've gotten in from a pipe that's in my hot press and attic. The smell is atrocious. I'm now beginning to believe it's a health hazard. I've been on to the council. They're refusing to help me. I've tried traps and the electric plug-in things. I don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. Now, we're obviously getting on to the council because we've got this uh, lady's name and address to see if we can get something sorted out. I know that the smell that you're talking about is to do with hopefully it's only mice and not rats when um, if the mouse has died up in the attic 
and then when it's rotting and decaying, uh, the smell is atrocious. We have false ceilings here in parts of the building here in the radio station and various times of the year we get that problem. It's just it's impossible to find out where the dead mouse is and the smell is it is absolutely atrocious. I, I don't know if it's a health hazard but it certainly is. It's really noxious for a few days and then it eases off and then it just goes. Um, so I, I know I know what you're talking about with the smell but it's it's more of a bigger problem. I mean if you've got an infestation that needs to be sorted sorted out but in the meantime when we're trying to get on to, to the council and I'm, I'm, I'm really taken aback that you say you got onto the council they're doing nothing for you. Is anybody else is anybody else living in a council house that had a similar problem and did the council I thought they would have been out ASAP to you. If anybody can offer advice there please 1850 and Annie one of our listeners was on to say there was a TV programme on last night about Ireland's freedom by Dan Breen. It was on uh, TG Cahar. He spoke about his mother buying him a wolf tone annual that cost six pence. Uh, she said she never heard of it before. She wants to know, does anybody know of, would there be one on sale in Cork, like a second-hand shop obviously would ha- have one. Or does anybody know where Annie could get her hands on it because she'd love to take a look at it. She's really uh, curious. Or does anybody ever remember them being on sale in Cork? A Wolf Tone annual. And it was sixpence. And if it was an annual, it must have come out every year. Does anybody remember a Wolf Tone annual? Back, are we talking the 50s, 60s? If anybody can remember one of those, let us know, please. Annie is more curious than anything. 1850-333-103. Still lots of commentary coming in about Joanne and her, and the son and the daughter fighting over whether the daughter should come home for uh, Christmas. Catherine is fuming over this this morning in Dunmanway. She said, they're two brats, the son and the daughter, for putting their poor mother in this position. To me, it's abuse at its finest. I wonder who owns the house. I suspect it is uh, the mother's. I wonder how serious the son is about moving out full time. If he does, he's going to end, end up having to pay his own rent and look after himself. As for herself over there in the UK, only because her trip to Australia was called off. Now suddenly she wants to come home for Christmas they're both using COVID to strengthen their argument. They're a right pair looking out for themselves and using their poor mother as a tool to beat each other with. I'm as cross as a bag of cats thinking about it, says Catherine. Look after your mums when you have them. The old people have gone through enough this year. And yeah, yeah, and you're right. And it's the, it, the one reason we decided to talk about it was the poor old uh, Joanne. She's utterly heartbroken because she is caught. You're right. She is caught in the middle of both of them. And she doesn't want to side with one over the other. And she wants to see her daughter. She hasn't seen her in a year, but she doesn't want to upset the son either. And she said she's, you know, she's living. They have a very harmonious household was the word she used with herself and her, and her son. They're living, you know, very comfortably at home in each other's company and you know everything's going okay she doesn't want to upset that and it's the the thought and the threat of him moving out that frightens her Uh, Anne says the son is controlling his mother it sounds to me says Anne like he's jealous of his sister I also don't think COVID has absolutely anything to do with this at all 1850 
0818 Hi Patricia I think that God, the daughter should come home for Christmas if the son is worried about his sister coming home and bringing Covid with him why can't he leave for the duration of his sister's holiday uh, and then he could uh, move back in but maybe the mother should tell him don't be in a hurry to come back obviously Joanne won't, Joanne won't this is her son she's not going to tell him to, to leave and then he'd have to leave and where would he go he go for Christmas John reckons the son is 100% right in this she is putting everyone in a very awkward situation by coming particularly with the high amount of uh, COVID-19 cases in uh, England. 1850 333 103. Margaret is, says, this is during my chat with Holly Kearns, we ended up talking about nurses and the discussion around uh, junior nurses and the midwives all working on the wards and not being paid. Margaret says, I thought we would never, ever, ever again have to have a discussion on nurses' pay. Here we go again. I have a granddaughter, a student, and is working so hard on the wards. It's disgraceful how student nurses are being treated. And then we wonder, says Margaret, and we scratch our head and wonder why so many of these young nurses are emigrating. They emigrate because they're treated better in other countries. And Margaret says, just can't believe that we are still in 2020 having this discussion around pay for nurses and in particular pay for student nurses. Hi Patricia, our building contractors are their employers, i.e. the council, liable for the condition of the roads by site works. The reason I ask, in Clonakilty, the road condition between Duns and the oil depot is absolutely filthy at the minute and it's actually greasy when dry. Who is responsible for telling the builders there's a new housing estate in that area to clean it up daily or at least clean it up on a regular basis? Well, well, you're right. It is up to the contractor. That's part of the contract they would have signed with the council. It is up to them to maintain it. I would suggest to that listener in Thanakilty, get on to your local council office or put a call through to a local councillor. Local councillors are great to pick up on those kind of uh, issues, point out the, the problem that you are seeing and they'll I imagine will fairly quickly get on to the, build, the builder and make sure that they're out I don't know if they have to do it every day but they certainly do have to maintain and make sure that the area around the building site is kept uh, clean so get on to your local uh, council and remember early on in the week we spoke somebody drew my attention I hadn't seen it to the hunger the story of the Irish famine it was aired on um, RTE won last Monday night. It's a collaboration between RTE and our own UCC and the European Culture Channel. Now, I didn't get to see it. I recorded it on Monday and I got to see it on Tuesday. And on Tuesday morning, when we were on air, we were getting calls in from people saying that they were just so upset. So I watched it and yeah, it was just such an, um, an upsetting programme. Uh, but it looks like a lot of people tuned in. They reckon 430,000 people tuned in to the first episode. And somebody was asking when I mentioned it during the week, when is part two? Um, part two is actually next Monday. It gets aired next Monday at the same time. Uh, RT1 at just after the main at nine o'clock news. And actually they're talking about it in the papers today, the fact that 430,000 people uh, tuned in to see the first episode. And actually John uh, Fitzgerald is um, with UCC and obviously was involved with the making of this uh, programme. And he he's making the point in the paper uh, today that one of the things that they really set out to do was to tell the human story and then 
you know, to humanise it and to personalise it because we all know the story of the famine but the one thing that this documentary does is it does humanise it and it does tell the stories. I know one of the stories I actually was aware of was the story for, uh, about uh, Dr Daniel O'Donovan. Remember he was the GP in uh, Skibbereen and that woman who turned up on his door he was, she was struggling to bury her children and she was afraid that one, I think it was a little seven-year-old boy was the first to die. She was afraid that the pigs were going to eat the child she didn't have the money to bury bur- it. I mean, just shocking stuff. And as the, the programme spoke about last Monday, Dr O'Donovan helped to bury the little boy and ended up burying two more of her children and then helped to, uh, paid to bury her as well. It's just, it's awful. But for people who, who haven't seen it, you can still get it on Ketchup. But for, for those that were asking, when is the second part of the documentary? The second part airs on Monday night next, following the news at nine. 1850 Three. Let's turn our attention to pet questions. If there's an animal in your house who is unwell at the moment and you have a query for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, get your questions in now, please. 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me for our pet section this week. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let's get straight into uh, questions. Hi, a question for Jane, the vet, please. I have a Labrador who's pregnant. She's due next week. I've been giving her cod liver oil with her food. Any other supplements we should be thinking about? I know calcium, once she has the pups, is important. And I'll start her on puppy food. But I'm just wondering, is there anything else we could be giving her in the final stages of pregnancy? Yeah, this is a really good question. So I think the main thing is that we have a nice, good quality plane of nutrition and quite high calories as well, because there's not just a little mum who's going to be burning off all those calories, but all the pups as well. And she's leading up to kind of a big event in her life, as it were. So she needs all the energy she can get. What I would say is I would be a little bit cautious about making any drastic changes, given that we're quite close to the due date if it's just a week away. Um, so what I would say is that if this is, you know, if, if let's say it would cause a big change in diet to change onto a puppy food, for example, I, I would just keep everything very similar at the moment, just maybe feed a little bit more of her own food. Now, in an ideal world, what I would normally say is that um, ladies who are just about to have their pup should be on a whelping diet or a puppy food. So something really high calorie, essentially high calorie and good balanced diet. So we need um, all the correct minerals in there. So the right balance of calcium and phosphorus um, so that the, the growing puppies can grow nice, strong bones. Um, so in an ideal world on a high calorie food. Now, if that's the case at the moment, then great. That's fabulous. If you're on a puppy or a whelping diet, that's fabulous. If you're not at the moment, I'd be a little bit hesitant to go changing if you're only a week out from the due date. It might be better just to make sure that she gets maybe an extra little meal in the day so that you're topping up her calorie count if she's just on a normal dog food. 
it might be worth speaking to your local vet as well, just in case there is any, let's say, multivitamin supplements or let's say uh, high calorie bases they can give you that they on balance, given your own dog situation, they'll know you and your, your dog best. Um, if there might be any, let's say, supplements that will be useful. So sometimes we have multivitamin or higher calorie supplements, almost like a tonic, um, just to make sure that they have everything they need for those final days. Um, but the main thing really is just a nice balanced diet and leading up into the day as well, just make sure there's some really nice uh, quiet and set up um, for the birthing of the pups. Um, so if you've had 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 a lady who's been having pups before, you'll you'll know the drill. But if you ha if this is the first time you will have had pups in the household, it's probably worth doing a little bit of research. And if you have any uncertainty or questions, ring your local vet just to chat things through because it's always best to know the signs of when things are going right, but also when your little lady might need a little bit of help as well. So it's just really important. But to be generally speaking, nature and animals are great. Generally speaking, oh, they, they'll deliver themselves without any interference. Just do you leave them alone generally? Is that the advice? Generally, leave them alone, but keep an eye is the way to go. Um, so a lot of the time, if we interfere a lot or disrupt a lot unnecessarily, then that can sometimes be counterproductive and slow things down for them. Um, but likewise, we need to keep a, a weather eye on them and make sure they're doing OK. So the one thing I would say is to anybody out there, if, if you're have pups if you have a lady that's in pup at the moment or if you don't or if you're considering having one of your dogs have pups the one thing I would say is it's not something to be entered into likely there's a lot of pups out there and I know at the moment let's say with um, the demand for pups increasing a lot of people are considering um, if they have a young little lady dog having having a litter of pups out of her the one thing I would say is in the vast majority of situations that's not a suitable thing to do um, because it's something you need to be really well set up for. It's something you need to have thought through all the mechanics of, um, all the risks, all the benefits, and it's really quite a lot of work. It's not. It's not. Although we kind of let nature take its course, it really is quite high maintenance in another sense. So it's not not something to be entered into lightly. Um, so I, I would say it would be something if you're listening to this and you, you think it sounds very idyllic. The one thing I would say is it's it's actually really really hard work. Yeah. So if you have any any considerations, it's best to speak to your vet about it. Yeah, and to everybody else dogs are not for Christmas please bear that in mind no. I know the ISPCA were out uh, only only this week warning people don't don't consider uh, getting a, 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 a dog for Christmas and actually I heard of somebody else who uh, they, I, I couldn't believe that the advice had to be even given uh, the advice was don't surprise somebody with a pup oh absolutely uh, not how anyone no, would even think. think that that's appropriate yeah, that's the thing. Like you have to think it's it's a little life you're holding in your hands and there's the responsibility not just of over Christmas time and next summer and all the fun times where it might be useful to have a pup around or entertainment for the kids. You're signing up to 10 to 15 years of companionship. Yes, and that would be lovely. But 10 to 15 years of responsibility and the financial side of that responsibility as well. So I think we're all really concerned. As a profession, I know that as a, we're very concerned about like a lot of the pups that have gone into homes, particularly over lockdown. Down and now heading into Christmas and we're still kind of I suppose half in lockdown to a degree we're really concerned that in another six months these puppies may have let's say entered into houses that we may not have been prepared for the responsibility and um, may not have really understood what they were taking on when they were let's say in a lockdown environment where they would have had a lot more time in their hands and now everybody's back at work so we're very concerned that there's going to be a big uprising dog yeah. being surrendered or needing Shocking. rehoming so no dogs for Christmas Yeah I heard about the dog yesterday it was on TV that was uh, surrendered during lockdown they they got a St Bernard didn't realise how big the dog would get 
A St. Bernard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're huge dogs. Huge dogs. (laughs) Massive. Okay, Laura has been on to us. A fully trained two-year-old cat. Uh, He's, uh, this started yesterday, peed up against the real Christmas tree. Uh, She said, why would he be doing that? (laughs) He's decided he probably likes the Christmas tree and has tried to mark it as his territory. Uh, This is a really common problem. I'm I'm laughing, but my heart goes out to you. It's really tough, actually, having uh, Christmas decorations in around, particularly young pets that may not have experienced a lot of Christmas goings on before. The natural uh, instinct of a lot of cats and some dogs is, um, here's a nice big tree in my living room. I'll just pee on it. Best thing to do is try not to leave them unsupervised with the tree, both for their own safety as well as, as the inconvenience for you. Nobody wants pee all over the tree, but also likewise, the tree generally comes with a lot of decorations that are easily chewed and swallowed. So it's really important not to leave your pet, uh, cat and or dog, because you'd be surprised what they can all swallow uh, unsupervised with the tree. The one thing I would say is if your cat has peed on the tree, it may be very difficult to get the smell away. And once he's done it once, he's likely to do it again. Sometimes it can be that they're wanting to mark their territory. And that's really, really quite a normal behavior, although really inconvenient for you and your tree. But the one thing I would say is sometimes it can actually be um, what we call stress spraying. So they could sometimes spray urine uh, if they're a little bit stressed uh, uh, with environmental change. And, And for a little cat, would you believe it? Putting a, a Christmas tree inside in the hall or the living room is a big environmental change for them. They have all these smells, all these shiny objects. Some of them think it's great fun, but others can be a little bit stressful. Cats are, are really, really astute creatures to the point where if you move if you move a sofa like two inches to the left, they'll decide that something major has changed and they need to get stressed out about it. So you can imagine the gravity of having Christmas decorations everywhere for a little cat. One thing I would say is just try and keep everything quite calm. I know the temptation is, you know, we're all trying to celebrate Christmas a little bit earlier this year to add some joy into the world. But um, just make sure it's reasonably calm. Um, if there's not normally a lot of music on the house, just try and you know, break it in slowly if you're about to put the Christmas tunes on. And sometimes it might be worth speaking to your vet about whether it's worth putting a pheromone adapter in. So there's lots of different ones on the market. There's Pet Remedy, Feliway. Basically, they're based on happy cat smells. Um, so it's essentially something that they they smell in the air we can't smell it at all but it can it can chill them out a little bit so environmental chain may, may not be such a shock to the system but um as for the pee clean it really well clean it with a pet safe detergent um, and try and limit your cat's access to the area so that you don't have a repeat performance and of course the cat, the cat the cat thinks that's a tree from outside because they've got that wonderful oh, yeah. smell we all yeah, love yeah. the smell of a real christmas tree he thinks it's just it's in the garden Oh, he probably thinks he's got all of the luck in the world that the great outdoors has been bought inside for himself. He doesn't even have to go out in the cold anymore. Yeah, and it's, yeah and it's, it's, it's been cold this week. And Mary in yeah. Skibbereen, question please uh, for Jane. She has a, a, a dog with what she describes as a dry cough. She's had the dog to the vet. Uh, the vet gave tablets, but they don't seem to have worked. Uh, the dog is 13 years old. She's wondering, is there an injection that the vet could give to stop a dry cough in an older dog? Hmm. This is a really difficult one, mainly because there's a number of things that could be causing a dry cough. Sometimes it could be as simple as, let's say, a sensitive airway. So a little bit of inflammation in older airways is quite common sometimes. And it's something that could be treated and managed. Sometimes even a a change in the weather, air, humidity, temperature can sometimes kick off a little cough in a dog that might have underlying inflammation in his lungs. However, it could be something like an infection. It could be a change in how flexible the airways are. 
It could be some inflammation that needs to be dealt with. It could be a number of things. It could even be, let's say, a problem with the heart. Now, I don't want to scare or, or call her by saying all of these things because the best person to judge this is your vet. And I think the main thing I would say is if these tablets haven't worked as vets, sometimes what we can do is, is take things step by step. And what we'll, what we'll do initially as part of our treatment plan may not always hit the nail on the head. Sometimes we may need to do more diagnostics. But what I would say is the main thing I would do here is, is trust your vet. Go back to them and just tell them what's happened. Tell them that, you know, if this, these tablets haven't quite settled down the, the cough and you're noticing the cough at these times of day and it sounds like this, they'll re-examine and they may need you to you know, be involved in more diagnostics. So some x-rays or maybe a little scope um, or they may need to try an alternative course of treatment. So I think the really important thing is to visit your vet again and don't lose faith. Just let them know that there, there will be There will be other treatments. Yeah, there will be other treatments. Exactly. Okay, we'll talk next week. Thank you for that and have a lovely week. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary uh, Group. Let me quickly, do I have a, have a couple of minutes left to wrap up on some of your comments? Mary in Ovens says this is on Joanne, the mother who's caught between her son and uh, daughter. Um, Mary says the elderly woman who would like to see her daughter for Christmas and the professional son still at home with his mother. There's nothing wrong with a son living with his mother at any age. Many elderly would not end up in nursing homes if that is, was the norm. What use would the woman's daughter be if she wanted some daily chores done? Example, milk and bread from the shop. She can't do that when she's over in the UK working. She said she's very happy with her son living with her and somebody should advise her that it's only one day. Christmas is only one day of the year. Her daughter can visit when this virus is gone. The daughter is also disregarding her mother's safety. Is the daughter afraid she's going to miss out on an inheritance? How dare the daughter try to force the brother out of the house just to suit her? I'm wondering if it was the daughter, if it's the daughter putting pressure on the mother i.e. elder abuse. It does come in all shapes and sizes, says Mary from uh, Ovens. Uh, Patricia, that man should respect his mother as when she's gone, the reality will kick in. Tell him, cop on. That's to the mother and the daughter. Life is too short for this kind of uh, carry on. And Pat, it's illegal what you're suggesting you want to do to the son and the daughter. A lot of people very annoyed on behalf of Joanne saying, you know, she shouldn't be put in this uh, situation. And another person says the son would be running home fairly quick when he discovers the high cost of rents <laughs> that's that is possibly true as well okay and thank you to people suggesting child friendly masses somebody has gone onto the website for the parish of Blarney White Church Waterloo and Rathpeakin and said thank you so much to the listener who pointed out the Blarney uh, mass they have a lovely mass available over Christmas that involves children thank you for that and Chris no sorry this is talking about Father Chris hi uh, Patricia for child friendly mass you must check out Kilmallock church. There is a family mass on Saturday night or Sunday at 12 noon. I would describe it as a beautiful mass. There's also a lovely reflection on Wednesday night at about half past nine, says this texter. Father Chris is wonderful. Well done to Father Chris in Kilmallock. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul and Sadie for taking your calls. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 on to the Patricia Mester. Very good afternoon. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 